Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show coming out of a rather orderly Music City Grand Prix in Nashville. Just a quick question, by the way. Music City, it's always struck me as a little bit strange knowing how it's known for one style of music. Am I the only one who kind of wonders how any city could have the moniker Music City if it's not really all forms of music i don't know maybe my head is broken which is very possible nonetheless an orderly ish music city grand prix won by our guy kirk kirkwood aka emo kirk also known as andretti autosports kyle kirkwood in that number 27 andretti autosport honda good to see that for our guy right last year is a little bit rough 2022 was the only anomaly in Kirkwood's career. Get to that more about that in just a second here, but great to see for him and for those of you who are medium or longer term fans of that number 27 entry, formerly driven by Alexander Rossi. Might have seen that car do a lot of winning, go through a bit of a, a dry spell, but get back to victory lane last year at the event we're heading into this weekend the brickyard grand prix uh, it's been good to see that for the 27 car team as well let's say a big thank you to cooper tires and the justice brothers for supporting all we do here on the show discount tire as well which has joined us this year and of which we are greatly appreciative and then torontomotorsports.com purveyors of fine motor racing memorabilia so Thank you once again to our partners and to y'all for the great questions you sent in. Got plenty of them. Uh, I think 1,500 words worth of questions, according to our pal Jerry Sudduth, who grabs all of them, places them in order, decides which ones live above the red line of death, uh, and helps set the tone of the show each week. Let's talk about our man Kirk for just a second, another second or two before we get rolling here with a few other items then into your questions this kid he just molly everybody on the what we used to call the road to indy we call now the usf championships presented by cooper tires and then also indy nxt by firestone this kid just won his way from entry level all the way up to indycar went to that aj foyt racing team last year know that that team is not one blessed with immense immense financial resources or immense staffing like we see at other teams so there were certainly limited expectations for good old kirk as a rookie thing that was a bit of a surprise though was the amount of adversity that he had often self-induced adversity if i had to guess we had to go back and look probably say kid was trying too hard pushing too hard he knows he's blessed with ridiculous talent and in a car that on whatever day that's no better than 18th it's just not a, a story he's familiar with he's a kid who's just always lived on or around the podium and so taking him out of that familiar place not a surprise to see him going for gaps that weren't always there, pushing too hard in a session and cracking the wall and 
not only having to repair things, but setting themselves a little bit back for the rest of the weekend. And right. It's just a little bit of a rough and tumble rookie year where we did not see any indicators of that coming up the ladder. Seen some mistakes made this year as well. Few more than he would like without a doubt. But we've also seen that, okay, <laughs> the kid who was just a raging animal in USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000, Indy Lights slash Indy NXT these days. Um, okay, yep, see him, gotcha. That win at Long Beach in April was everything he showed us coming up the ladder. Being able to win last weekend, Realize that strategy played a big part, right? Say I've seen a few too many people for my liking on social media in a couple of articles I might have browsed where all handed to his race strategist, Brian Herta. You cannot discredit Brian's influence for sure. Brian's not driving the car. Brian's not having to make speed while hitting a fuel number. Brian's not keeping the tires under the car while having to make speed and save fuel. Brian's not having to do restarts. Brian's not having to do in-laps or out-laps and flawless pit stops and so on. So again, we're taking nothing away from Brian, but I would hope that some of those who are saying, well, the kid's succeeding because he's got Brian Herta. Yes, he is succeeding because he has Brian Herta, but he could succeed with Mike Lindretti on his timing stand or Rob Edwards or whomever. This is not something that without Brian, Kyle Kirkwood is not capable of reaching victory lane. So I hope this victory, which certainly had Brian's fingers all over it, just one that helped us to appreciate that whatever the strategy he is given, this kid is capable of rising meeting multiple challenges all at once in the same race. This wasn't just 80 laps of go like hell and hey, you won. This was, okay, we're going to hit you with a few different constraints. And the kid aced all of them. So happy for our man, Kirk. Happy to see that the one who mollywopped everybody, as I said, that's who we're seeing more and more of. Colton Herta, his teammate. I know there's a question in here, I believe, somewhere about Colton and such. Colton, obviously, not having a great race by any means, finishing at the very back as a result of Kirk's second win of the year, second and only for Andretti this year, only driver to do that for them. Knowing that he's had some down events, this win has brought him back up coupled with Colton's bad, bad race result here in his new hometown. We also have Kyle, who's moved into, I think, P9 in the championship and is now not only the team leader in victories, but also in the championship. So good on our guy, <laughs> good old Kyle Kirkwood. One or two other quick things to mention here. Don't do a lot of crazy, silly season stuff on the show, but had a couple questions asked about this. Whether they made it into the show or not, I can't exactly say, but silly season. What's the number one thing I've been either asked about or told in terms of rumors since I fired in 
that silly season piece that I think went up on racer. I don't know, Thursday, Friday of last week. And I had most of it written a couple weeks ago. Uh, the thing that I keep hearing more than any other is the following and apply whatever layer of truthiness or complete nonsense as you see fit. So Alex Pillow, where's he going to go? Again, we all expect that to be Aero McLaren slash McLaren racing. We know that Alex is already a test driver for McLaren in Formula One. We know that Alex harbors a dream of racing in Formula One more than anything else. Asked him that multiple times. He's answered it in pretty much the same way, saying, look, if all I ever do is race an IndyCar, I will be satisfied. I will be okay. But I would hate myself if I did not give everything I had to try and compete in Formula One. So it's not a case of IndyCar being a consolation prize. That's a little bit of a disappointment if that's all that ever happens to him. It's more a case of I'm going to aim as big as I possibly can because that is truly the thing I have yet to do that I've dreamt of since I was a kid. But I will be happy here in IndyCar if nothing comes to pass there. The thing I keep hearing and having folks tell me is he'll be heading to Aaron McLaren, as we have expected for a while. But instead of him going straight into that number six Aaron McLaren Chevy, the latest rumor to come from a number of folks, including folks you know pretty well in the paddock, said he will be sent to Williams by McLaren to gain F1 experience there and have him ready if and when a Lando Norris decides to go elsewhere. That's been predicted for a little while. I think he's on a long-term contract, but I think there's also performance clauses, again, as I've been told, that say if we don't finish here or wherever in the championship, there's an escape clause. I wouldn't pretend to know what exists for his teammate, young Oscar Piastri, but would say of the rumor that I've been told over and over again here, granted, I heard something about this a little while ago. I don't feel like it's more than weeks, but I can tell you in the last five days, the, hey, he's going to McLaren. They're going to send him over to Williams, let him get a year of experience at least, and then assuming there's a vacancy at the end of 2024, well, hey, We've got a guy who's ready to go in whatever seat. So, again, you may have heard it. You may have read it elsewhere. Who knows? This may be old news to you. But since our last recording of the week in IndyCar, that one's bubbled up pretty good. Uh, what else can I tell you that might fall into the silly season category? Hey, what about a total lineup change at Ed Carpenter Racing? I've heard that one as well. I've heard David Malukas and... Devlin DeFrancesco as a new lineup possibility there. Um, to those who know your IndyCar driver contractual situation, you might be saying, well, hey, wait a minute, doesn't Renus VK have a contract through 2024? To which I'd say, yeah, that's what I understand too. So then you might say, well, then how could he not be a driver next year? To which I'd say, I have no idea. <laughs> that's why they call it a silly season. So, there may be 0% validity to it, but just sharing a couple of the things that don't necessarily warrant going into print, but 
terms of hearing and not hearing, right? I never mention the stuff that comes in from folks where I'm like, yeah, you have no idea what you're talking about. Only sharing things I've heard from folks who uh, I can say more often than not tend to not be suggesting things that are totally out of left field and impossible. So anyways, both of those things probably never happened, but there you go. A little bit of silly season stuff to open the show. Uh, why don't I give you a little pew, 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 pew. Oh man, my voice is failing. That had no energy behind it. No anything. Uh, I apologize. I feel like I should almost do that over again, but then I realize it would probably be even worse the second time. So I'll just leave that there. I might roll in some actual music bed for that because that was pretty terrible. Um, why don't we open the show with our pal Chris Ward, who I think I will be seeing this weekend sporting his somewhat fresh Alex Pelot tattoo. Uh, he says, with his second win of the year, is it safe to say good old Kirk Kirkwood has assumed the mantle of the number one driver at Andretti? Or do you think that's still Colton? <sighs> Boy, I'm a results-driven person. If Alex Pelot has been the top performer at his team this year, I can say for sure that historically the number one driver at Chip Ganassi Racing for a heck of a bunch of years has been Scott Dixon. But if we look at the points right now, it would take Alex deciding to go on vacation to the moon and not come back to maybe Laguna Seca uh, for Dixie to have a chance of winning the championship. Um, and again, I don't say that in any kind of critical way towards Dixie. am saying, though, that if you look at just the straight facts, and I know your questions about Kirk and Colton, I'll get to that in just a sec, but it's the same scenario for me, Chris, when I look at some of the other teams where you go, hey, this is the long-established number one, and are they still the number one even if they're not the number one? at least this season. And I say no, absolutely not. Uh, for talking about Dixon, it's 126 points behind Alex Pelot. If you think about the fact that we have four races left, uh, there's 216 points available. That's having to overcome more than a two maximum points race deficit. Alex would need to finish last. And even then you get points. It's not a ton. It's like five points or something silly. But uh, Alex would need to finish basically dead last. Five points is what you get for anything from 25th or lower. Um, he'd still come out with 10 points. If Dixon won everything, 108 points over the next two races, and Pelot had the worstest ever, he'd still have a pretty decent gap over him. But we know Pelot's not finishing dead last, and not as if Dixon can't set the pole, lead a lap, lead the most laps, and win both of the upcoming races, or two of the last four. But unless there's total calamity, it's hard to see how Alex allows Dixon back into the championship frame. 
And so while that's the situation at Ganassi, where I think we can say legitimately Alex Pillow is their top driver, there's an annual reckoning of that. Hey, go ahead, prove, take it, be number one. Pillow has done that with authority this year would have to agree or, or go along with you if we're just talking about results and say that, yeah, good old Kirk Kirkwood's been Andretti Autosports' number one driver this year. He is, at the moment, five points ahead of Colton in the standings. I think it's a little bit different, though, than the Pelot-Dixon conversation. Because you look at the fact that it just took Kyle to get his second win while Colton has been winless for him to move ahead by five points. There's some races where you go, hey, Indy 500, Kirk finished 28 through no fault of his own, right? Hit by Rosenquist, taken out while running super well. Shouldn't have finished 28th based on potential, but that's where he finished. Colton was what? I think like ninth 10th something like that so the andretti cars had the potential there but right texas wasn't great obviously a little bit of controversial stuff there mid ohio right not great toronto not great as well just saying colton has had a better year if we're talking about race to race quality finishes but neither driver has had a stand out amazing year to say oh that guy's kicking everybody's backside uh the fact that kirk has two wins uh what colton has a couple polls i think kirk has at least one what i'm i'm looking at here is yeah by results at this moment we can say kirk is better if we look at race to race so far where the two of them have been colton he has been the uh, more consistent producer of quality results. The takeaway here, I would say the nuanced answer to close, Chris, is this. Who do I trust to go put it on pole and win this weekend for Andretti Autosport? Still going to go to Colton because he's shown us he can do that again and again and again and again. Kirk's had some big highs so far in his first year with the team. We haven't seen is the not having a great day, but I still brought it home fifth, fourth, seventh if the car was terrible. It's been a, a fairly ones and zero season for our guy Kirkwood. He's either kicking butt or really, <laughs> really grumpy. And. Colton's had a little too much grumpy this year for his liking, way too much. But I can't think of too many examples where he's been just a little bit too far off or in the weeds, Chris. So what this has shown us, though, is within Andretti Autosport, they have someone who is capable of matching Colton, if not outrunning Colton, on the day. If I have a... a mission for our guy kirkwood if i have homework for him over the last four races it is keep doing and showing what you're showing they don't have to be wins but one or two more podiums 
and a bunch of top five, six, seven, something where you go, show me that you're here and in the game at every round, even if the car is not a magically delightful rocket. He shows us that. That's when we start to say, okay, I am really struggling to parse between you and Herta from round to round. Ovals, and we know the kids quick there. Indy being the one that we've seen so far was like, hey, hey, hey. Hopefully, he can have a quality run at Gateway. And once he pieces that together, and I realize that Colton is still chasing that first oval win as well, but if Kirkwood can show us he's a gamer in terms of finishing position to close out the season, even on days where winning isn't possible, show us some front-running pace here in the final oval, I think we go into next year talking about it's a total flip of the coin. Total flip. Now, granted, if Colton goes and wins out two of the last four or three of the last four, maybe it's less of a flip of the coin. But the potential here, absolutely, Chris, exists for a change in the power dynamic going into next season. All right, let's roll into our next questione here, which... I am struggling to find because I'm not always the smartest monkey, but I do believe I have it right here in front of me. All right, Eric Franklin. Say I attended the race in Nashville in 2021. was mildly disappointed with the execution and the cost, so I have not returned. Said I noticed a lot of empty seats on television and Sunday's broadcast. Is that a bad sign or more the case that you shouldn't start an event before 1 o'clock on a Sunday in Nashville? I think it's probably more a case of the bad weather, Eric, right? If we're talking about the folks that we saw, I would assume a lot of them would be the kind who bought tickets beforehand where you always worry about stuff like this, where a street race definitely has a pretty strong walk up. Uh, attendance expectation is if it's raining like mad and weather's all over the place, raining on Saturday, raining on Friday, just that, hey, I'm going to go down and go outside for an afternoon and get rained on a ton. Um, yeah, we will, uh, we'll have to see if those kinds of things will actually, uh, actually draw folks out. But I know in general, I look at the weather and think, yeah, that's probably a reason why we did not have as much filled as we would hope, Eric. Would also say... With all those things in mind, I kept an eye out for that exactly, especially in the overhead, uh, you know, the aerial shots and whatnot. And I will, uh, I will say, I was pleasantly surprised at how full some of the grandstands were. Um, would also say that early start was definitely something that was raised to me by some friends in the area, saying, and I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast. I don't know, but like. Hey, uh, <laughs> most people are getting back from the bar at five or six in the morning and, uh, they're not getting up at 11 to watch a motor race or whatever it is, uh, go to a motor race. So I know that was a bit of a question there too, but last observation, there are one or two spots where I saw the grandstands placed that at least in my, whatever opinion, based on going to motor races for a long time, 
looked like places I wouldn't expect folks to want to sit. Again, I'm not saying there were many, but there were a couple where I was like, there aren't many folks sitting there. And I can kind of understand because I don't know if I would see anything there that said, I have to buy a ticket and sit there for race day. So what we do get, though, is a do-over. We get this massively reconfigured layout for next year that I hope will be one that folks love question looking at the downtown part the new part running in and around broadway and such where do you put a lot of grandstands i don't know Uh, it seems like the layout that we just used for the last time eric is one that at least by my eyes had more open space to place large grandstands where exactly you do that over downtown i don't know but they obviously would not have come up with that layout gotten it approved without going well where are we going to put people because the people are what help pay for everything so uh i know will flaw 29 and a few others asked similar things but wished that there were more people mindful that weather very likely affected the turnout and then also the hey it's going to rain in the morning um but then it's going to be a thousand degrees and crazy humid in the afternoon I can tell you this, I love IndyCar, but if I lived in Nashville and was just going there as a fan, I might have said, unless it's in some sort of air-conditioned suite, I'm probably going to watch this from home. So I don't know if I could blame anybody for uh, for choosing comfort over uh, wilting. Uh, Lance Snyder says, The racing at Nashville, for most part, was hard, fair, and compelling. Did the drivers get together as a group and decide not to drive like complete maroons? Or was it uh, more each individual not wanting to be, quote, that guy who created a mess? You know, we had, last year we had rain. Last year we had some overly optimistic, high-talent young drivers uh, deciding to try things that were never on. And, yeah, I think the quality of the field this year was a big contributor to that, Lance. Realizing that some drivers might be steeped in less awesomeness than some were last year but if anything maybe that helped because it's when you have the raging super talent in a slower car who just only wants to go forward where sometimes you get that i I see what you're trying to do here son but that was never going to work i didn't really have any of that this year which i appreciate i also would have to guess that uh be it an indycar president a race director whomever else might have made it fairly clear to the drivers that you know what um some of y'all and some of the idiots in the media like that pruitt guy and others call this place crashville and we hate that so if you want it to succeed for the future stop doing that um i'm guessing lance it's all of those things what stood out to me was like coming off of the bridge back over was it turn nine or eight or whatever number it is but coming off of the bridge that downhill sweeping left back over by the titan stadium like there were a number of corner exit crashes first two years of the event we obviously had kirk trying to go down the inside of malukas and stoving the two of them into there previously yeah we had joseph dumping 
new garden into the wall there. We had a decent amount of wall smackage right there. That wasn't it. That wasn't the case. Um, we had some spins and whoop de doos going across the bridge on the other side. Didn't really see much of that. Um, on that side of the bridge, going over and making that very tight left-hander uh, over on the, the downtown side, that was a big area of people going, sure, that's wide open. No, it's not. Kerblamo. We didn't really see any of those. So to me, subtracting the cars arriving on whatever other side of the bridge, doing dumb things, that was what we majorly and mostly deleted to remove the excessive and unnecessary carnage. So I also would have to believe that there are a lot of drivers not necessarily crazy embroiled in a championship fight for at least winning the title, but there's a decent number of drivers who really just needed to get to the checkered flag, whether they're under duress to hold on to their seat, whether they know that they have some options at other teams that might be better, whatever else. This is a race over the past two years where a lot of folks have shown their backsides. And I think if you take a lot of these items into play, there were more reasons for folks to drive within the boundaries of sanity uh, than we've ever had. And then you take away rain or any other kind of wacky adversity. And uh, where everything seemed to conspire against Nashville coming into the green flag on sunday once we did go green except for that one little thing at the end um where we had the red flag that was the only nashville-esque thing to me that happened in the race everything else could have happened at any other track so truly uh really i guess almost proud to see the quality of driving and the maturity displayed by veterans and rookies alike uh, plus you, as one of the uh, the corner workers as well, Lance, they all told me they wanted to make you happy. So there you go. Take a sip of coffee here, which I shouldn't do because it's 5.23 p.m. on a Monday. But I am indeed getting on a plane Wednesday morning for Indianapolis. So uh, got a lot to do. Uh, Piglet Pants. I got to believe this is a first submission from Piglet Pants. Uh, I assume Linus Lundqvist's stock in the silly season market has risen astronomically after this weekend. Any new interest in him? Maybe from the bigger teams? Um, I can say for sure some other teams are more interested. Things that I don't know. Does Meyershank Racing have an option on him for next year? That would put them at the head of the good old line to sign him if they wanted to. Don't know. Wouldn't strike me as insane if that were to happen because those things often happen in situations like these but if i am a michael andretti chip ganassi bobby ray hall ed carpenter whomever well i don't know i'm not sure if ed has a fully paid seat to offer but regardless if i am a quality team that has a seat to offer bring no money we're gonna pay you you're gonna be our one of our pros. I think those teams who've thought 
Lundqvist was good. Keep in mind, he's tested for three teams now, I believe, is it? I know at least two. Um, those teams have gotten a, a look and feel, but hadn't seen him in a race scenario, race weekend environment. I would believe without a doubt, good old Piglet Pants, that those teams who were interested and curious but unconvinced because they hadn't seen him race beforehand have all said, huh, yeah, all right, need to talk. Why? What's the reason? This is it, and I apologize if it's insensitive, but again, racing's not about feelings. It's about reality, sadly, when it comes to the business side. With exception of maybe one driver who's truly available on the free agent market. Pretty much the rest fall into the, we know what you're going to give us. Or we think you're going to be good, and you've had a couple of impressive results, but not totally sure. So if the vast majority of the folks who would be free to hire fall into the, you have one career victory or zero career victories. And that is really and truly where things fall by and large with exception for maybe Erickson. And I'm not even talking about Pelot because you know, he's, he's not available. Um, of the existing options, you have a lot of, I think you're going to be good, but it's still a little bit of a gamble to you've been here for a little while and you're a trusted pair of hands. And you maybe have a win, but you've never seen anything to say you're a future champion. I am by no means saying that after one race, Linus Lundqvist falls into the, you're a champion for sure. And you're our number one choice. We've forgotten everybody else. But I am saying that having seen the kid, make the fast 12 on debut, uh, thrive in the race, made a mistake, right? Put it in the wall. Uh, his team owner, Mike Shank told me after the race, like he's over the, like he is ecstatic about the kid. I thought it'd be a little bit bummed because they were on the cusp of a really good finish. The exact opposite. He's like, look, he made the same mistake that Scott Dixon did the day before. Okay. Uh, I can't be mad at him. If anything, he was the exact opposite. He's like, this kid is holy poop. Good. So just saying, Linus from this one race, and he can certainly help himself if, if he's able to get in the car a little bit more. But off this one race, he has erased a huge question mark about, is he? I mean, we saw him run away with the Indy Lights championship, but who knows? Got to see him in an Indy car to make an Indy car decision. I think this absolutely moves him up at least parallel, if not above some of the other drivers teams with a ride to offer might've been considering, um, not saying he's shooting to P one, but I would guess he might've knocked one or two others down a notch. And I say this just for the sake of, of accuracy. Lundqvist didn't do this driving for Errol McLaren. Chip Ganassi Racing, Andretti Autosport, Team Penske. Did this driving for Meyershank Racing, which has had a very terrible year. This was an electrifying effort by the kid who has done just that. Q1 
given the team just a jolt of energy and and happiness and belief after being really and truly down for the last month plus especially since simon uh, has been out so i do believe without a doubt this kid has just messed up some people's depth charts that top five list of free agents they're going to pursue i think this kid is just he's just earned himself from money some money i just don't know with which team and if by chance we get to next season and no one has hired him full time <sighs> nothing will make sense to me in the world uh let's see joseph hall you ask a question that uh matt robards and a few others have asked saying what is the issue with colton herda qualifies well but can't close the door for a win said i'm sure colton is frustrated as a broken taco shell yeah it seemed like things were getting back on track for him this change of strategist with rob edwards moving over rob is very much calm and steadying influence not saying things were unsteady beforehand but rob's just a guy who brings that everything's good yes i realize there's a big hole in the side of the boat but we're going to be okay we're going to patch it up we're going to keep going we have a plan we're going to be all right he's just he's that guy um felt bad for colton i mean obviously uh had much greater potential based on his qualifying much greater potential on sunday looking at how things went though oh boy yeah this was another another rough one i mean what he qualified third um then just getting bounced into the wall when things didn't exactly go well there um as good as alex Pelot's year has gone where seemingly nothing <laughs> nothing bad can happen i mean we've gotten through 13 races y'all and his worst finish is eighth never worse than eighth never out of the top 10 it's just dumb as good and as lucky as his season has been uh you could say colton's been on one for a little while last year weird just weird and off and right realize that he won a race and had a you know couple of podiums but colton herta finishing 10th in the championship never in our wildest dreams did we go into the season thinking that that is what his final place in the standings would be and yet right you look at there was again as always there's some adversity not of his own making others where you go all right that was kind of on you and others where you go car just wasn't there this year opening the season with that clash with will power and i agree will might have been a wee bit too aggressive there but fighting around the outside of whatever that turn number is just yeah i don't know if that's ever worked out the way anyone had wanted but this has just been a very strange year uh strategery as well been off at a couple times which we know about but i do wonder 
if momentum is a real thing. And we see it, right? We look at Pelo, yep, that guy's got momentum. Look at Newgarden and you go, well, you don't. You've got crash, win, bad, not even close to good, decent, win, uh, eh, pretty dang good, eh, not great. Hey, pretty good. Whoa, win, win, and eh, decent. Last weekend, fourth, but he didn't need fourth. He needed P1. Um, I do wonder if momentum's a real thing and how you lose it and how you get it back and realize that the problems Joseph is having with momentum, you know, uh, hey, you poor guy who's won four races this year and is second in the championship. Granted, he's grumpy as can be, but imagine having no wins. Uh, and being what is Colton like 10th in the championship now. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer is. Um, brought this up before in the podcast, so I don't want to, you know, repeat things too much, but he's had a lot of success, very young, very early. We know that he's been rewarded by that often hear from amazing players in other forms of the sport where they have identical career track at that huge payday and all the lavishing of attention and this, that, and the other, and maybe go into a bit of a slump. And we hear from them years later where they go, you know, it's too young and didn't exactly know how to deal with it all and had all the trappings or distractions or whatever of life at my disposal for the first time. And, did everything I thought I knew how to do to put them in their place, but I don't know if I fully manage that as well as I would hope. I'm not saying that's what's going on with Colton. I'm just saying some of the the things and processes and outcomes in life that he's had are things we've heard before by amazing athletes gone through similar things where you go, can't buy a break, can't can't hit a bucket, can't catch, can't pitch, can't whatever the way that you were before, what isn't working? So unless things change significantly by the end of the season, I would expect going into next year for there to be some good size changes. And I don't know what they are. He's got one of the greatest race engineers in the paddock. Nathan O'Rourke, he's the guy that he's won basically every race with, if not every race. I've, I've forgotten maybe his first win was without him, but no, I think it was. Yeah, so every win, every poll, again, unless I'm forgetting, it's been with the Nathan O'Rourke, who's a freaking monster of engineering. Uh, Chief Mechanics, amazing. Crew is amazing. Gearbox, refueler, does what? Top to bottom strategist assistant engineer like these are all folks that any other team would love to have so i don't see anything that makes me say up oh, gotta unplug that person plug in someone else things get better tomorrow the reason i mention if things don't improve there's probably going to be some change is that different hands theory probably heard me mention this before on the podcast when i was a young mechanic i was introduced to the different hands theory that came from me fighting to insert 
the bolt through some hard to reach area on whatever race car that I was working on. It's a young mechanic and you know, I'm fighting and I'm fighting and I'm trying and I'm cursing this thing and putting curses on it. And I don't remember whether I basically gave up and asked for help or one of the, the senior mechanics or chief mechanics saw that I was struggling and came over and said, all right, idiot, what, what is going on? I can't this, I swear I'm going to hit this thing with a freaking brick. Look, get out of the way. Give me the bolt. And surely, you know, within three seconds, boop, right through connected that lower a arm to the clevis. And here we go. All right, just don't forget to put a nut and a washer on there, you moron. Like, wh- why? Why? I've legitimately just spent however long it was forever trying to do this and couldn't, and you did it in five seconds. And they're like, look, man, it's the sometimes it takes a d- different pair of hands. Like, the different hands theory, it's a real thing. For whatever reason, your hands weren't able to do it. Uh, next time you see someone fumbling with something like you were go over and offer to help. And invariably you're going to be able to do the thing that for whatever reason they can't, there's no real reason, but that change sometimes works. Similar thing we see here. It's not necessarily the, the quote different hands theory, but potentially maybe it is identical where you go, Hey, this team's amazing, but we're going to replace the head coach. Because, well, not because you're doing anything wrong, but we're not winning as much as we wanted to or we should, and we're just going to try someone different. Again, that replacement might not be any more talented or credentialed, but doing the same thing over and over again and not getting better results is not the way forward. So I don't have an exact answer or maybe even an approximate answer here to Colton. It's mystifying. And we do know that instead of them just being out to lunch and the car being slow all the time and him making nothing but mistakes and those being single, the reasons why they are primarily not up where they should be in winning races, it's often been little things, little touches here and just clip the wall a little bit there or locked up a brake or my outlap wasn't as good as I had hoped and the tires weren't up to optimal temperature when I had to do the lap and there wasn't enough time to do a second. And it's right. Rarely have I seen anything that says, Whoa, way, way out of bounds here. It's just been a, not always, but by and large, these little things where you go, dang. And yet every other entry deals with the same amount of time in whatever session practice qualifying the race to do the same exact things. And we see at least this season and last season as well. Hey, there are a lot of familiar names who are right up front again, Erickson, Award, Dixon, McLaughlin, Newgarden, Plow, power. Um, it's really strange seeing Colton 10th last year, 10th again this year. Um, if he's in this similar spot, by the time we say farewell to the championship at Monterey in September, yeah, I'm going to feel bad about wherever things end up heading for next season. Uh, let's see, we got a little bit of time left, so why don't we rip through a couple of more questions here? Uh, 
Andrew Miller. Say any follow-up on Little Dave's gearbox fire and rear wing failure? You say uh, a one-off black swan event or something that X-Track or Delara needs to investigate and mitigate? Feels like randomly losing a rear wing could end in a lot of a lot worse fashion than it did for our Chicago friend. Uh, Mato Corey, you were curious about this as well. I spoke to our pal, uh, who I'm now calling Defy Everything Dave, because he should have crashed and crashed big, but he defied everything because he follows IndyCar's uh, motto. Uh, spoke to our guy Dave, Davey, Chicago Dave, on his drive home. He said it was like eight hours, which is pretty amazing. Uh, said he was within an hour and a half of being home when we spoke yesterday and said, hey, what did exactly happen? And it mirrored what I ended up reading. I guess I'd missed. Uh, they included it in the post-race press release from the team. Uh, said that there was a pretty decent fire beneath the engine cover and the heat from that fire. Uh, they said delaminated one of the rear wing uh, pillars. I'm, again, I could be totally wrong, but to my knowledge, those are machine solid pieces of machine carbon. So I don't know how that would, quote, delaminate so much, but regardless, um, this is something that was caused by heat, was not caused by anything other. The main issue he mentioned was the inability to drive the car back to the pits or at all. Uh, the belief is that the fire burned enough of uh, wiring looms and such and possibly more that uh, communications to the gearbox at minimum were lost. So, yeah, he did say he went to brake and felt that the car was not really slowing down like it normally should, and so he looked in the one of the side mirrors and saw smoke but also saw that he could see out the back of the car easier than ever because there's no wing kind of blocking his view and that's when he realized aha and then he did a pretty darn good job to slow the thing down and get it woed in a straight line so yeah um don't know the cause rang and spoke with uh, hpd just a little while ago and they said they were still uh, looking into this and trying to get to the root of what happened so yeah, don't have a answer of the root cause, but do know that fire was indeed the thing that uh, caused this cascading array of problems. Ed Joris, you ask, uh, two safety-related failures for the Dale Coyne racing team in two races. Is there anything IndyCar is doing to police or penalty uh, or provide penalties regarding such things? Not that I know of uh, after Nashville. I uh, already spoke about what went down with wheels being loose in stingray rob's car two days in a row at iowa in the second race the first race he was able to get back with the wheel still attached second race obviously not the case don't know if there are any financial penalties applied but i think i mentioned in the mailbag racer mailbag last week i gotta believe that there was something um i don't know if there'd be a penalty for this because i don't well how's this we'll wait to find out but uh the team would have to do something pretty significantly wrong to make fire um this didn't exactly happen like first lap second lap out so usually if a team has left something loose an oil line or whatever that's going to leak and and cause a fire it tends to not happen 15 laps into a race or something like that but 
Um, this didn't jump out to me, Ed, as a team thing, but uh, that's an assumption. I don't know for a fact. Uh, let's see. JJ Gertler with so many questions. Perhaps most importantly, what kind of pie has Scott McLaughlin been eating? That it uh, means his cool suit does not fit. Is it fruit pie, shepherd's pie, key lime? These questions are important, even if he hasn't answered them. Um, more seriously, with the possible end of Romain Groschon's time at Andretti Autosport in the offing, do we know whether Olivier Boisson is free to move with him? Uh, I do not. Um, hoping to see Olivier this weekend and ask. Um, boy, I can tell you, if he is free to go and would then want to go, he could name the number. And, yeah, there are... Think of the IndyCar teams that have solid budgets, have had disappointing seasons, and are looking for any and all wickedly talented engineering types like Olivier to turn their fortunes around. So, yeah, a lot of ifs there, but uh, hopefully I'll find out. Matokor, you do ask, who solidified themselves in the per se final talks during team discussions about their 2024 drive lineup based on Nashville's results, both good and bad. Um, let's see. Yeah, pull this up here. I don't think Erickson did himself any harm, um, but just looking here. Been a little while since we've had a standout Marcus race. So, as I put in the last silly season piece, I think it might have been, um, yeah, might have made this public knowledge, which I'll probably get yelled at for here. Uh, but yeah, had heard on, we'll just say, pretty darn good authority that an offer was made for him to stay at Chip Ganassi Racing. And I think a win or a podium last weekend would have really could have only helped in securing that and or who knows, adding more money to the pot. I don't know. Um, Alex Pillow finishing third, Dixon finishing fifth, Marcus finishing seventh. Again, I don't think he did any harm since you're asking specifically about who solidified or, or de-solidified themselves there. But uh, as the top free agent, Nothing that stood out, but nothing necessarily super positive. Uh, who else? Just looking down the list. I thought Romad not only did well, but I thought he had a really solid Iowa. The question for Romain, and I know that there's a couple of you who've asked about this as well, in a difficult place. Age-wise, he's not old, right? Um, he's also not a pup, right? 37. So just thinking if you've got some younger drivers out there, David Malukas has won as many IndyCar races as Romain Groschel, which is zero. Linus Lundqvist has won as many, which is zero. Uh, Callum Eilat won as many as Romain, zero. He's also Callum's two spots behind Roma in the championship. And Roma is not driving for Andretti Autosport. He's driving for a much smaller team with a 
massively smaller engineering group who do amazing things. Um, there are more names who could throw in here. Mark Armstrong, right? This guy is, is clearly really damn good. I think for Roma to stand out for being retained at Andretti, not only do we need to see him win and win now, obvious statement alert there, but I'm just looking at guys like Roma and even Marcus here where you go, okay, we know that in your team, there's at least three people who are race winners and or front runners. Where do you rate among them race to race? If the Ganassi team's having an off weekend and there's no way they're going to get anywhere near the podium. Okay, cool. Who's where? Who's performing best among that trio? If it's Polo, well, all right. If it's Dixon, great. If it's Marcus, great. But is there a trend where you go, okay, you're in a contract year and you haven't won yet and we keep hoping you will, but you haven't. Can you lead the team home at least? I realize that there are some things on Sunday in regards to Roma's number 28 Andretti Autosport Honda that didn't go all his way. Just say that good old Kirk Kirkwood winning can certainly kind of set the tone where you go, well, damn it. Okay. Um, it's two wins for him, none for anybody else. Colton qualified on the second row. It's not as if Roman was that far back, right? Really good as well. But where are you? Are you P1 all the time? Okay, I understand if you're not, but are you P2? At minimum, give me P2 in the team, in that depth chart. Know that Colton obviously hit the wall, race didn't continue, so on, but at least was looking pretty good till that happened. So on the weekend, Roma came home P2, and that is definitely nothing but a good thing. Sixth, a little bit remote from good old Kirk Kirkwood. Also third among the three in the championship standings, and not exactly by a crazy amount, right? So not saying like, oh boy, the other ones are just running away from him, but these are the things that, get looked at okay man you can be a strong number two a little more often than maybe we'd like your number three on the depth chart but hey we know we can count on you for that is that something andretti autosport is good with again coming back to the who's a team leader is this person ascended or whatever the best we can do is look at the output apply whatever little filters we know that we should. You know, hey, this person taken out here, whatever, so can't judge them too harshly on some things. But last year wasn't great on debut for the team. Uh, this year, he is currently 12th in the championship, uh, tied with our guy Felix Rosenquist. Right, Rosie's right there as well. Uh, 40-ish, what, 40... 49 points behind Kirk, so almost a full race worth of points behind Kirkwood. And Colton's nestled right up against Kirkwood. So, you know, there is, he's not that far behind numerically. 
Kyle's ninth, Colton's tenth, Romana's twelfth, but an actual earning of points, there is you know, there's enough there that's gonna make it hard to jump those two. But that's just the thing to consider. Andretti's made it pretty clear they want all four cars to be capable of winning. Some of the, not many, but some of the people on the market can do that. We'll win for them next year, I think, without question. Do you hold on to a guy and someone who's pretty expensive who, latter stages of his career, more often second or third for the team on the day, rarely first, and still waiting to break through? These are the tough things. So it comes back to the very first item I mentioned. What is it? Andretti is looking for if they're wanting someone who can take that car and go win wherever they go might be a little bit of a, uh, a stretch to think that uh, he's going to be their guy long-term uh, chaparral 2j Marshall best you your wife and the furry ones thank you Andretti Autosport seems to have a handle on the street course of setups this season well, Penske, or at least Newgarden, seem to be the one on the ovals. Uh, how much of those differences come down to each other's shock programs versus other setup variables? He asks, is this where Andretti Autosport is finding the street pace? Um, Yeah, for sure. Damping's huge, huge, huge aspect of this, but it's damping along with the overall setup choices being made with the car. Uh, being faster in qualifying has been a big part of Andretti's upgrades this year and their overall competitiveness. And then holding on to that speed with setups that don't burn off the front or rear tires or otherwise, that's the second piece of the success puzzle. And we haven't seen that enough for them. Uh, Penske as well, right? Joseph's won four times this year, all four on ovals. Awesome. Amazing. Our guy McLaughlin won at Barber, right? Again, amazing. No doubt. The reason Joseph looks so frustrated having just finished fourth is he knows he's still pretty far off of what a Kirkwood or a Polo is able to do. Polo makes things even worse because Alex was having to do crazy things to save fuel. Was not able to push uh, for way too much of the closing stage of the race. So it's the, yeah, we finished fourth and we got good points, but man, I know we had nothing for him. Um, McLaughlin was obviously pretty good, but not good enough to run down Kirk. He was in front of him. So, yeah. Uh, and what would Polo have done in his Ganassi car if he wasn't having to do, wasn't held back by constraints that others weren't having to deal with? So, yeah, you can say damping for sure. That's the big differentiator from team to team. It really and truly is. One of the reasons that Ray Holladum and Lanigan has gotten back into the game at some events is they made a good hire during the offseason with one of Andretti's uh, damper specialists, and it took a while for them to dig themselves out and find a better direction. But at Toronto, which was like a, a freaking off-road course in terms of track quality surf, or track surface quality, it's an area where they did pretty darn well, even at uh, Iowa. And granted, 
They did not have a great Iowa, but there were glimmers of, of hope uh, shown to us by Lundgaard uh, in the second race there. So, yeah, uh, it is obviously huge. Also, <laughs> kind of like state secrets and the recipe for Coca-Cola and other things that are kept, like, you know, in Fort Knox, a damper guru yeah those people are signed to like billion year contracts um paid handsomely and yeah rarely do we see them uh let go so great question thank you let's get to the last couple here and wind down somewhat rapidly uh randy maynard say regarding calamilon is he done in F1 as a Ferrari Academy driver? Yes. Um, so do you think we have him in IndyCar to stay? I do. I know he's under contract next year. And yeah, he had a great weekend uh, as well. So I think there's no chance we lose Eilat um, anytime in the near future. Hopefully he's able to uh, make a home here because him good at driving race car. Uh, Ed Joris, how surprised you that McLaren does not want to race. Well, Andretti's won two, RLL's won one. Is McLaren officially an underachievement corner? Eh. The Rossi VK thing was a bummer. I thought Alex was on, oh, the two of them were on pace for a pretty good day, but um, things went sideways there. Things went a little bit sideways for Pato, too. Felix, obviously, not a great day, finished to the day at least. <sighs> They too are in the. Wow, there. There's success, and then there's. We keep getting close, but boy, it feels like we're a mile away type scenario. If I've noticed a, a trend this year, which has maybe been more prevalent than I noticed last year, it seems like the team is freaking awesome more often than not in qualifying. Pato again being on the front row here. But the strong Saturday matched by a Sunday fade does seem to be the story way more often. Um, I don't know what the answer is here. But yeah, just as we're asking, why can't Colton close the deal? There seems to be a, a can't close the deal virus going around at some teams where we would expect more and this is certainly one of them so yeah uh by this stage i don't know how you would say anything other than it feels like they're underachieving uh jay cozier say i know this is an imsa schedule question but who the heck thought scheduling canadian tire motorsports park aka Mosport, the same weekend as the honda indy toronto is a good idea if i had to guess purely a guess might have been a case of you know what uh maybe we have broadcast uh trucks and staff in canada so how do we make use of that and do this once a year split across two tracks instead of going up and back twice i don't know could be totally wrong but that came to mind as a thought other than that i don't know um I'll give you the honest answer here, Jay, in why I say I don't know. And this doesn't have anything to do with you. It's just sharing. Um, 
There are times where I enjoy receiving the questions for the weekly racer mailbag. I get about half of them on Friday afternoon, late afternoon. And then I get the other half Monday, usually around noon. Based on the time that I have tracked the last couple of weeks, takes about two hours to two and a half hours to answer the first batch. And then, especially coming off of a race weekend like Nashville compared to uh, no IndyCar race, um, those Monday questions of the batch of questions tends to be a bit smaller, obviously, with no race. But coming off a race weekend like the one we just had, um, oh, there's a heck of a bunch. And so that can be two, three hours all totaled, um, yeah, about five, minimum four hours uh, in writing answers for each mailbag, sometimes five, five and a half. There are times, maybe five to seven times a year where, again, maybe it's a big crazy race, it's the Indy 500, it's crazy crash or drama, whatever it is, uh, where things get to the eight nine thousand words total uh per mailbag and that's with the questions plus my answers but the answers are usually the predominant part and that can be a seven to eight hour thing so don't mind investing the time that's not a problem not a complaint was asked to do it signed up for it got to keep the tradition going all that's good i just share that little thing with you because having just finished this week's mailbag which I don't know, 6,500, 7,000 words. Um, the amount of, why didn't they do the thing? What's wrong with them? How could they? How could they not do this, and why did they do that? Who in their right mind would do this, and how dare they? I get it. I get it. That's what the mailbag is. It's usually, <laughs> it's usually nothing but complaints and criticism, and nothing new. Totally know it having a minor human moment you can say shut up idiot it's not what we're here for i sometimes reach my limit in the why did they i don't know i can call people but i would truly spend probably two to three days of each week i don't mean a little bit i mean non-stop calling of people one person in the mailbag wanting to know maybe you can call somebody and find out why indycar was late or why i'm sorry why nbc was late coming back from commercial and missed the first five seconds of a restart yeah i can i know the people to call and ask that question of and i can do that and they're probably busy and so i'm going to call and they're probably not going to answer and then maybe they'll text maybe we'll get back we'll waste more time we'll go back and forth and maybe we'll finally get on the phone and that person will say do you think we did it on purpose it wasn't on purpose. We aren't trying to intentionally antagonize you. We're not intentionally trying to miss a race or double schedule things or otherwise, but this, this happened. Sorry that it's not making you happy, but so I just say, I can absolutely call him and say, hi, how did you land on this date? Uh, hi, Toronto IndyCar, hey, we kind of know when you're going to be, we think, kind of, sort of, and so on. Um, how, why, what, 
huh? And I can get answers to all those things. I can't with, uh, without a doubt. I know the people call, I can get all that stuff. I can consume an hour plus of my life getting that answer. And when we're done, it will absolutely not change a thing and make nobody feel any better. So keep sending in stuff like this. I'm not saying not to, I'm just sharing that. Like there's nobody who would think it's a good idea to do this, but it's happened. And so obviously it happened for a reason and with kind of full knowledge and expectation that there would be a conflict. Um, would also say that we had these exact conversations. What was it? Two years ago, COVID time when, or was it three? I apologize. But when Texas IndyCar was moved right on top of the 12 hours of Sebring being run at its traditional spot, it's always run in and it sure pissed off a lot of people and it was done knowingly. It wasn't a, oops, we didn't know it was a, I know, sorry, but this is what's best for us. So this is what we're going to do. So I realize, I don't know if I've answered the question, but I am sharing that sometimes the, okay, let me go invest time in my life, which I realize I will never get back when I'm on my deathbed and ask myself, man, was there time you could have saved to do something else? I do ask myself now, Hey, I hope I live for another thousand years, but if not, do I want to be the guy who said, you know what? You spent an hour less with your wife because someone wanted to find out why the broadcast came back five seconds too late or otherwise you go, um, I'm going to choose me. So I don't know what that means. Felt the need to share it. Uh, let's close with this. Uh, a couple of quick things here. Uh, Austin Taylor, Marshall, do you have any advice to a 20 year old wanting to be a motorsports journalist who is struggling to be able to go to school for it? Doesn't live in an area where motor racing is widely available. Ooh, that's a lot of, a lot of struggles there. Austin writing talent is something that always stands out. So I'll also mention there was a typo in your question submission, but that's okay. Um, writing talent will always be recognized. So if you are good at writing them words, if you're good at writing them word stories, uh, I would say that's the first piece of advice. If you have talent, let it flow. If you do not, and you write in a rather generic way that doesn't leap off the page, Go and read some of Frank DeFord's work, one of my sports writing heroes. Um, if you are, and granted, that's old. He's old. He's no longer with us, but his writing has, you know, won every award ever. It was amazing, and I have nothing like his talent, but I at least read and aspire towards something like his. Uh, if you have the interwebs, I, and I don't know if it's behind a paywall or what, but search Nigel Roebuck, R-O-E-B-U-C-K. Search for Nigel Roebuck. He is my motor racing, journalism, reporting, book author, just hero. <laughs> that guy, <laughs> that guy almost singularly 
made me want to one day do what he does. Even back when I was a racing mechanic at 17 years old, I read everything he wrote in Autosport voraciously. Uh, his ability to tell a story, spin a yarn, paint visual pictures with just words, just otherworldly. Um, that's the first thing. Probably the most important thing as well. I say that because this question gets asked quite a bit, and I usually then take a look at the work uh, by whomever, and it's usually because the person's young, hasn't lived much life, doesn't have much seasoning, therefore it's not a lot of flavor to offer. It's usually pretty bland, pretty by the books. I want to make sure that this follows AP format, and I would... Would I get 100% on this from my English teacher? And you go, cool. 100% from your English teacher is usually not the thing that compels folks to read someone in an ongoing basis. So that's the first thing. Do you have style? If not, seek out the Frank DeFords, the Nigel Robux of the world where you go, ah, there's some flavor in how they do things. Look to, in your own way, incorporate that into your work. Second is analysis. Not hot takes. Not, I've got a YouTube reaction channel to the such and such race and me and a bunch of my friends who you've never heard of are going to talk about something like 50,000 other people and give you pretty much the same take of, hey, they should never have released that person from the pits uh, and it's the team's fault for driving in for their driver running into the other car. No, it's the other team. Like, okay. Um, anybody can do that. Don't be the anybody. If your take on something is just kind of quick and not particularly nuanced, the world lives on that, is fueled by that every day. Is there a second layer, a third tier of something where you go, all right, what are all the angles I could look at this from? And again, I realize I'm posing generic things here, but what allowed... Kyle Kirkwood to excel on Sunday in a strategy that was different than the fastest driver in the field, at least for a lot of the event, Scott McLaughlin. Or counter to that, what were the decisions or what was the uh, the inflection point where things changed for McLaughlin? Break that down. Give me ideas. Give folks reasons. Hey, Alex Pillow finished third. His team took some big swings, or took one big swing strategy-wise. It was just bordering on being a huge failure, right? The time they called Pillow in during that first major caution. Thought was maybe everybody else would follow, and they didn't. I think Linus Lindqvist was the only other one, really, who was starting in a decent spot who pitted and they had to bail out right they were trying to do the same fuel saving as below realized the kid had never done it before ever and was not going to be able to match fuel conservation like alex and so they early on into that final stint said all right gas it up and go just (laughs) light them up we're gonna have to do an extra stop but let's try and save something for ourselves and not have a totally poor finish 
Um, Alex Pillow, Linus Lundqvist pitted on the same lap, yet their strategies diverged. Obviously, this caution slash red flag at the end of the race saved Alex's bacon, but tell us about that. Break that down. Look at the lap chart. Rewind things. Rewind the broadcast. Pick out the points where you go, ooh, what happened here? Read the, go to the team's websites where you can read the press releases and quotes and hear from the drivers or maybe strategists who had whatever to say. Just saying, like, Tony DeZeno, young journalist. I know that when he was young, he uh, we used to interact a lot and he reach out about something that I'd written or whatever that he liked or whatever. And I noticed that he would start to pick up on some of the things that I would see. And I'm not saying that he picked them up because he read my stuff. I'm just saying that he stood out to me as someone who had a similar eye of the curious, whether it's how a race played out, a strategy decision, silly names and numbers, right? He had a tweet last week about there's a Renus and a Linus and a Lundqvist and a Rosenqvist and a this, right? Loved it. Saw that. I'm like, that's my guy, right? This is these exact things that, that I see and I saw when I was his age or whatever else and pointed out and like, I'll admit, I, I don't do that as much as I once did, but I love seeing that, all right, here's a kid who's not looking at stuff the same old way as most people. Um, read Tony's stuff. Um, Tony, D-I-Z-I-N-N-O. Uh, talented, right? Uh I appreciate his takes. Don't agree with all of them, nor should you ever. If you ever say, I agree with everything someone writes, says, whatever, uh, find someone better because you should never agree with everyone uh, that everyone says. But um, there are folks out there uh, don't know your talents, haven't seen your work, but those are the things I would share in terms of creating something for yourself that stands out. For the folks who've reached out and said, hi, I go to this school or I've graduated or I've written for this site or I've done this. Here's some work examples. What do you think? Or could you pass this on to someone, um, one of your colleagues, etc.? cetera? Um, I do. And I often look at it before those things get forwarded and know instantly whether this is going nowhere or there's a, a slight potential that it could. And it usually comes down to does your work stand out among others or is it just AP perfection that you could find damn near anywhere else? So hope that helps. Uh, let's see. TG's vision 1996. Uh, Hey, I wonder if that's an indie racing league reference uh, MP long time listener, first time caller. And we're going a little bit longer this episode. Why? Well, I appreciate the fact that we have a number of folks who are writing in for the first time uh, as our Mr. George Vision 1996 person here and also some who we don't get to hear from all that often. Uh, so we're going to close with two folks uh, asking questions for the first time. So our pal TG's Vision 1996 says, why do people have this unrealistic idea that Penske can snap his fingers and undo almost... 25 years of mismanagement, less year, less than four years of ownership. 
which the first two were mired in a worldwide pandemic. Deliver a new chassis, 25 races, 16 ovals, and 8 OEMs. Uh, were these people not paying attention? Do they not understand for the first time? Uh, 1996, this series is a solid foundation via his ownership. They totally missed that the first tasks were to build the field, strengthen the current races on the calendar, and make the series financially stronger before entertaining the other stuff. Say seriously, used to spend every offseason wondering how many teams and tracks would be lost and if the series would even exist and People now want to be freaking their stuff out uh, because RP isn't pooping out rainbows and unicorns. Um, great submission. Ranty as well. I like that. Um, I would not say for the first time since 1996, uh, by any means. Uh, probably for the first time since 2001. Um, obviously, appreciate what Tony George did. Worked in his series for a number of years as well, along with cart, but, uh, did many great things. Um, at the time that cart really started to fall apart, uh, 2000 is really the last big strong season. 2001 is where some of the major teams, the Penske's and so on started migrating towards the IRL. Um, at the time of champ cars folding champ car being what cart evolved into the time of, Champ Cars Folding, the IndyCar series, was not exactly a raging success. It was really good. Had Danica, had Dario, had Dan Weldon, had, right? But wasn't really, you know, screaming, raging success on the American sports entertainment uh, platforms. So let's, you know, always happy to debate, but this to me is not an opinion thing it's a fact thing but regardless um to the roger side totally agree totally agree the same time you either come in and you have a bold vision or you don't and he hasn't and this has been very much one of conservatism and conservatism, when you have something that is extremely successful, it's the way to go, right? We've built this thing. It is strong and badass, and we are going to make very few changes. The formula is great, protected at all costs. We're not there yet. And so I think that's where folks like myself rightly and routinely point out wherever the instances happen to be, hey, what are we doing? Right? Love the series. It's been a big part of my life. Seeing more positive things happen of late than in a good while. So that's it's wonderful. Improving things at a glacial pace, though, leads us to being very, very, very old. It might be our, our children or our children's children. Um who get to see the true benefit of all this. And since none of us want to wait until 2050 to hopefully see IndyCar as a rival to NASCAR again, I think that's where criticism like my own, calling them out for mismanagement of this hybridization plan, 
having to cancel the use of these new engines that were designed and run and tested failure to land a third manufacturer with all of the ties brought in by Penske entertainment, right? That was the big thing, right? More than anything. My goodness. Titan of the auto industry. If anyone, I wrote these same words myself. If anyone can bring in a third manufacturer, it's Roger Penske. Here we are four years in had the same formula was going to a new formula dangling the hybrid aspect in front as well, which supposed to be something that manufacturers want. And yet we still have been unable to bring in a third manufacturer. And because of that failure had to pull the plug and go into the new engines because both Chevy and Honda and said, we're good for eight leases. You're going to have a 16 car grid because we were never supposed to split these 2.4 liter twin turbo V6 hybrid engine supply like we do now with this old motor we've had forever. We can do that because we've got a ton of them. But having to spend the money to create brand new everything and do all it, we only have budgets to do eight leases full season apiece. So you're going to go from 27 cars in 2023 to 16 next year unless you bring in a third manufacturer. No third manufacturer appeared. Only solution to keep IndyCar from tanking. And this was because of Chevy and Honda. So just sharing out loud here. And I know Roger went beyond lengths than you can imagine to try and land a third. So it wasn't for a lack of effort. Offering big things to try and get Toyota to come in. Offering them long blocks and all kinds of things to help expedite getting a motor done. Like truly. Um, so there's no criticism here. The efforts made by Penske entertainment to land a third manufacturer were extremely significant. It's the old <laughs> avoid that one. You either did or you didn't. And so it's the, Coming close only matters in hand grenades and horseshoes, right? Well, it is awesome that such great levels were gone to, but there's no third manufacturer. So the end result is the only thing we're left to judge, and that is a failure. And as of because of that single failure, it has set a whole ton of huge dominoes in motion. I don't know if I would call super positive, but... If folks don't care about whether they have new motors or we keep using the old ones, then ultimately it doesn't really matter, I guess. But it's Chevy and Honda agreeing to abandon the significant dollars they had put forth for these new motors to turn their attention, to then take on the development of the new energy recovery system that IndyCar was supposed to be supplying through a vendor they had identified in Mali. This is Chevy and Honda having to bail out the series and spend their own money to manufacture the supercapacitor side by HPD in the energy recovery system in league with another vendor through Ilmore and Chevrolet. So, again, I would love to say it's all rainbows and unicorns and i'm not 
pooping because they aren't, but I also can't be heaping false praise just because. If the series was bought by someone of less stature, I think we'd be saying everything you're saying. Hey, they're newish to this. Give them time, etc. I don't feel like I'm saying anything wildly new if I were to suggest that folks hearing that Roger Penske is buying IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway were associated with, wow, we're going places now. Big things are going to happen. I am confident we'll get there, but I don't know if any of us said, and it's going to be a while. Totally get COVID, totally understand that. Can't argue that. Seen IndyCar bring Iowa online, so that's really good. Feels like that's been a positive. Ticket sales might have been a little soft this year. Uh, Sunday, at least, looked like a pretty sparse crowd. But regardless, Iowa in general has been hailed as a success, so we've got to give them big kudos for that. Nashville Grand Prix was in the works for a little while there, but came online, right? Not promoted by IndyCar, but that's come online uh, during Penske's ownership tenure, so that's a positive for sure. They moved Detroit to downtown, said it's been a huge commercial response there, more than ever. Chalets and whatever, more of them sold than ever before, so got to believe that's right. super positive for them. Um, there's certainly some unquestionable super positives here but there's also some pretty big brick and mortar things where you go yeah i I, that's hard to overlook um i obviously hope that things become amazing as as quickly as possible but the somewhat slower pace i would probably be more ready to you know cut that slack that you're referring to here if it was someone where you go hey big ambition but they don't know what they're doing they're they're newer to this give them some time um the lock everything down no new chassis no no engine no new anything just right we're holding firm battening down the hatches like okay um it just gets to be a little bit tough when you see other series uh really swinging for the fences and seeming to uh hit more home runs and none of the criticism to close here comes from wanting to criticize (laughs) everything i mentioned about yeah man mailbag on a weekly basis can be pretty tough because it's just so much uh being grumpy about everything i don't want to be i don't want to have anything critical to say i just want to say everything's awesome and amazing and shooting for the stars um they are indeed doing more that is better Without a doubt. Way more impressed with Penske Entertainment this year than I was last and the year before, and so on and so forth. Just wonder when we start hitting the throttle a little bit because the super conservative approach, I uh, just don't know if it's going to get us anywhere anytime soon. Um, we're going to close with something on a similar but maybe opposite uh, thread from Elite Fleet or Light Flight elite flight or i don't even know i won't even pretend mp first time submitting a question for the podcast in a long time admittedly 
have been listening in a long time, so it's good to be back. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So my question is simple. While I appreciate the steps the series has taken in promotion, it's another thing I failed to mention in the previous one, we've also gone backwards on the leader circle, uh, <laughs> taken money out of the leader circle. Um, that one's hard to paint as a positive. Uh, appreciate the steps Sears has taken in promotion. Um, why does the leadership in IndyCar seemingly not give fans insight into the true direction they want to take the series in? See, I, I read that racer mailbag thing. Jay Fry did, quite frankly, it was disappointing. It felt like the same PR statements that were made in 2018 and 2019. So the series has made improvements, but the stagnation still exists. Then I look around the racing world and I'm seeing F1 and NASCAR taking steps forward with new cars and great schedules. Uh, even the lower budget series and like IMSA or Formula E introducing new cars and new things to keep the series fresh. It's underwhelming. It's the other, other angle here is the uh, keeping up with the Joneses. If not for NASCAR doing the next gen cup car and sending garage 56 to Le Mans with one of them and the Chicago street race and racing at the LA Coliseum and it's first, uh, yeah, it's first ever street race and this, that, and the other, like, and I'm not, you know, look, NASCAR can put on some races that certainly are the cure for insomnia, but as a whole, they're reaching, they're trying they're doing things in new markets, new ideas. I hate the phrase, but it is a lot of thinking outside of the box. And yeah, IndyCar under its current ownership, new ownership, it is about as drastically inside the box as you can be. Prior to this, would say with more creative freedom, uh, IndyCar president Jay Fry was indeed someone looking outside that box um seems like been painted in there pretty heavily though in recent years f1 i mean it's such a financial juggernaut that it is hard to compare in a fair manner but again fair or not what are folks fired up for miami grand prix coda las vegas ratings are strong as can be here um you can only compare what reality is and I do agree, uh, as, as, uh, our friend TG's vision, 1996 wrote in the penultimate question here, absolute reasons to cut Roger some slack COVID being wicked. COVID wasn't unique to IndyCar though. <laughs> IMSA went through COVID F1 went through COVID NASCAR and so on. Looking at a bunch of series going through, IMSA went through a leadership change, right? Brand new president coming in, fundamentally different than the last. Um, F1's gone through ownership change, leadership changes, right? So just saying, IndyCar's not on a total island here where you go, hey, what's been going on there is unlike every other series, therefore we can't compare just a very different approach and so i think this is where elite flight or fleets question um resonates with me because i can try and do things with blinders and not look at the other series but imsa's on the rise 
say the GT racing has been its backbone for a long time, but the prototypes have really taken them into a new place of interest. And it's not opinion, it's fact. It's looking at grandstands from last year to this year and going, hey, <laughs> Watkins Glen <laughs> looking pretty healthy. Hey, Mo Sport, hey, run down the line. Watkins Glen, uh, and so on and so on. Um, there's something happening there and it's around newness. It's around technology and great looking cars and manufacturer buy-in. Um, already talked about NASCAR, talked about F1. Um, it's the wanting the series we super, super duper love in IndyCar to not get left behind and to keep up, if not surpass its rivals in some areas, if not all, if that were possible. And so to the question here to close, it's when you don't have a great feeling for what the actual plan is. All right, well, if we're not mashing the throttle and if we're not rushing to try and overtake everyone else, then what is the plan? How do we get there? When are we, are we going to have a new car? If so, when, I don't know. It's a question without answer. Um, what about this? What about that? How many races and where could we see the leader circle ever improve? Is a new TV contract coming? If so, will it enrich IndyCar more? Will it be available in more places? Who knows? Uh, Hey, will we like we do with F1 and NASCAR? Will we ever get back to a place where IndyCar practice sessions or at least qualifying? Will we get back to a place where everything other than the race excluding the indy 500 but every other race the only time fans who might not be streamers get to see indycar is the race itself there's minimum three if not four sessions that are all reserved for streaming we know the audience sizes for that are tiny by comparison well can we get how do we get back to people, right? Fans being able to sit on their couch <laughs> and go click and watch it. And again, I realize tons of you haven't done that or rarely do that and think that's just old timey. Totally get it. But there's still a ton of IndyCar fans who that's their norm. Not saying take away the streaming option, but how do we make it so that old streaming is not the only option? For the Friday and Saturday of most events. And the only time it goes live on cable or network is on Sunday. So it'd be a huge improvement and return. Is that possible? I don't know. Just some of these things where you go, I'm with you. Last thing to close here. I think NASCAR does it. I don't know if F1 does it. Maybe they do. Um, I know that IMSA does it, and that's the state of the series. It's the state of the union. Where are we at? Where are we going? And, yeah, you know, you would expect it to be nothing but positives. But more than some of the patting oneself on the back and self-congratulatory stuff, it's important to me because it gives you an idea of what indeed... They're trying to do clues you in. And I don't think it has to happen just once a year. Um, it'd be great if it happened 
more often. And so what is that? At least during Penske Entertainment's tenure as the owners of IndyCar? I know that they have a rolling five-year plan. It's often more on the technical side where that's made public. But talk to your fans. Exactly to your point here. Tell us. Like if you say, hey, we do. We have a plan for how we're going to get IndyCar back to become the biggest, most popular form of racing in America. What is it? When? If you say buckle in for 20 more years, I'll buckle in. I won't be happy that it's 20, but it's when you're not even talking to folks. It's where asking such things, you kind of get rebuffed a little bit. Oh, we're not going to share a business plan. Well, so I hear you. Um, hope y'all have a great rest of your week. Uh, if you're on a bike ride or something that takes a while, I hope you enjoy what might be the longest episode I've done in a good long while, but Hey, uh, this is a chance for me to not write because <laughs> I've been writing all day and, uh, yesterday and so on. So it's good catching up with the family here. Uh, big thank you to you for all your questions. Hopefully I'll get to see some of you this weekend in Indianapolis for the good old Brickyard Grand Prix. And um, I may even be staying over in the greater Indianapolis area for a few days after for reasons I'll can't really get into. All positive, but uh, not for public consumption. Nonetheless, I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast and our Weekend IndyCar listener Q&A brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, Discount Tire, and TorontoMotorsports.com. We'll speak to you very soon.